Matthew 16. And uh, before I get into the scriptures, I, I have to say that I took my, I, w- I was a good father this past uh, week or so. Uh, we just got back from Legoland. We took our kid to Legoland. I, I, I did not have one bit of fun. It was all about him. Um, uh, but we had a really, really good time. He had a blast. If you uh, have a, a child or grandchild, you get a chance to do it. it it's, it's really a blast. So uh, I'm sure that he would love to talk to you about Legoland. You might be there for an hour, but uh, it's amazing how much he can talk about it. Well, let's jump right into the Word. Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, that shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee, I have to go back to the, the, you know, the King James, get thee behind me, you know, get, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is a very, you know, this passage we you know, heard many times. You must deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In this chapter, Jesus has been sharing with them that he will go to the cross soon. That he will be, you know, die at the hands of other people. And, And really what he's starting to do is he's starting to prepare them. Showing them that he's going to be arrested. That he's going to go through crucifixion, burial, and resurrection uh, and it's all part of God's plan. That God becoming flesh and ending with his death and resurrection. And, that the, you know, and he's been teaching them for about a month. After he, he rises from the dead, he'll teach them for about a month and he'll ascend to heaven. And he'll leave the Holy Spirit uh, with us as part of God's will. So six months out, Jesus is starting to prepare them. He's starting to get them to deal with the issue. And this is not one that's understood easily, that by dying, he would actually defeat death. By allowing bad politics and bad religion uh, to win on Friday, yet by Sunday, he will come out victorious. This had to be very confusing for his disciples. It is hard to, you know, it's even hard for us to understand sometimes, and we have the totality of the scriptures uh, you, you know, they didn't have any, you know, all of that. They didn't have the New Testament written. And what's even more difficult for them is that most rabbis back then and today spoke metaphorically. They spoke in parables. They, they st- spoke in allegories and so forth. And, and Simon is probably sitting there thinking, man, Jesus is out on a limb here. I don't get the whole Roman cross thing. What in the world is he talking about this in the middle of the success of our ministry? So Peter pulls him aside and says, Lord, I don't think they're getting it. 
They think you're actually going to die on a cross. This can't be what you meant. I mean, I'm glad you have me here to tell you that they're not understanding. See, Jesus knows that they're going to go through a terrible Passover, and he's preparing them because Passover was a huge celebration for the Israelites, and it was supposed to be, you know, a holiday. It's supposed to be full of cheer, and, and, and you understand this if you ever, ever had someone pass away during a holiday, and every holiday, you kind of, you, you, it never goes away. You always remember it. Now, it softens over time. It's not so in your throat and in your eyes, ready to bawl all the time every time it happens. I mean, you know, my father passed away at Easter time, and so I wasn't even here for that Easter. And yet, over time, slowly, it kind of dissipates a little. I always miss him. But so he's trying to prepare them for this time. A celebration that Egypt no longer rules over them, that God sent a Redeemer. This is not how the disciples are going to feel when Jesus is arrested, when he's bound by ropes, when he's tried by evil men, crucified on a cruel cross. They're going to feel like everything is lost. It's a tough thing to understand six months out in Matthew 16, much less when it actually happens. Even though Jesus just told them that the gates of hell will not prevail over him, it's very difficult for them to understand. And Simon Peter decides, well, I need to speak up now. Wait, 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 wait. What did you just say, Jesus? What did you just say, Lord? Come on, Rabbi, you know, come on. Now, there's also the opposite. There's two different personalities going on here. Simon is one of those guys who could see things coming. You know what I mean? You're sitting there, and he's sitting there going, okay. He's connecting the dots along the way, and he sees the end. He's going, okay, this, this, and this is going to, okay, this isn't going to happen. You know, he's like a smart businessman here. You know, they start telling you what's going to happen through this situation. You're like, oh, come on now. And yet in the end, you know, we're like, stop being so negative. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Here's the dots. Here's what's going to happen. There's also the opposite personality. You know, the fat, dumb, and happy. And we don't like to call people fat, so we'll just say dumb and happy. You know, the dumb and happy people. Life is just going along. Passover's coming up, and, and the weekend happens, and all of a sudden you're just angry. You're confused. You thought the church was going to solve all your problems, and yet somehow you're still confused. See, I think it's good to see these two different sides of the disciples and how they felt this way sometimes. To realize that we are just in the Friday of our life, but Sunday is coming, so hang in there. I think too often we allow the things of this world to to jump on us on Friday. And we forget that Sunday's coming. We forget that God is there. We forget that God is ready, that he has the Holy Spirit within us to help us get through different situations. And we're just focused on Friday and the death. Does that make sense? Are you following? Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Sundays are coming. We're just in the Matthew 16 of our life. The story is not, you know, not done yet. Just because we don't understand Jesus today doesn't mean that we will not understand him in a few months, in a few years, and in a certain situation. Here's Jesus explaining to them that he knows that they do not understand. And Simon Peter takes them aside in verse 22, and Matthew tells us that he began to rebuke Jesus. Peter's like, Lord, Lord, this isn't going to happen. 
You know, in verse 17, he has such great insight, God-given insight. And then in verse 23, he's just getting blasted by God. He just doesn't understand. But doesn't just think about it for a while. He just says, wait, this is not going to happen. He doesn't sit back and go, well, maybe, what's Jesus been talking about? He just goes right at him. You know, this dying on the cross thing was such a foreign idea to Simon. He loved Jesus, and he was going to protect Jesus. Simon is the guy in the next few chapters that steps up to protect the Lord because he's a good friend, and he loves him so much. He is a passionate person. I love this about Simon. He can be so wrong and so right in the same breath. Have you ever been there? I've never been there. No, never, you know. So wrong and so right. You know what I'm sorry, it's saying here. Jesus has to go to the cross, not only for the world's sin, but for Simon Peter's sin. For both. Simon is trying to protect him from the very thing that he has to do. Remember that in the last verses, he's been given the ability, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the ability to loose and to bind and through prayer and, and through those things that we have that ability through the Holy Spirit that's in us. Simon is trying to bind here. Nope, that's not going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to let that happen. His very first attempt at binding something, he's trying to bind who? Jesus. Man, he just doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. And he begins to get a rebuke from Jesus. Get thee behind me, or get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. This is a very harsh rebuke. I don't think we understand. This would have absolutely stunned Simon. He would have just been, I mean, just knocked upside the head. This is one of those things where, you know, you're having that conversation, and all of a sudden somebody else says something to you, and the blood just kind of drains from you. And you're almost like stunned. You're like, I can't believe they actually just said that. You go white and weak. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. This is like getting hit upside the head in stars. You know, the, you know, the, the old cartoons where the, the guy gets hit and the stars go. You know, I've had one of those experiences where I was on a three-wheeler once. You know, we have these quads now. We call them quads. We used to have three-wheelers. I mean, back when we were men. You know, back when we were men and dumb and going about 30 miles per hour. And I forgot about a 90-degree turn that was right ahead of me. And I turned the three-wheeler which is not a smart thing to do when you're going 30 miles per hour, and I started rolling in it. And I hit a tree with the back of my head. And by the way, I'm still on the three-wheeler. I rolled with it. And I hit a tree, and the three-wheeler somehow landed upside, you know, the right side up and kept going down the road. And I'm stuck against the tree. Now, I, I'm not joking. I need to get my friend to to give me this picture. They have a picture of the tree is still growing at a 45 degree angle because it was a smaller tree and I knocked it sideways and it's still growing today. It's out of a friend of mine's cabin out in the woods near San Rayburn Lake. But anyway, I digress. Man, I was seeing stars. I walked back to the cabin, which is about a half a mile or a mile. I don't even remember how far it was. 
And I walked back to the cabin. The guys were laughing because they thought I ran out of gas. And I fell about, you know, about 15 foot from the cabin. And I just fell down. I had stitches across the back of my head. Literally, my tooth is on the outside of my lip because my lip is on the inside of my mouth. I know, fun, huh? That, why do you think I have the goatee all the time? I've got a nice little scar over here. Man, stars in my head. This is like Simon getting hit upside the head with a two-by-four. You just can't breathe. Jesus has just called him Satan. Get behind me, adversary. Get behind me, opponent. You are not thinking of the things of God. He uses the word scandalon here, which sounds like what? Scandalous or, or you know, like a, like a scandal. You are a scandal to God right now, Peter. You are in my way, Jesus says. The word mind here is the word phroneo. It means to have an understanding of. You can imagine Jesus. Jesus just gave all of them, the disciples, the keys to the kingdom. And he's sitting there going, the first time you try to use those kings and, uh, keys and binding and loosening and all that is on me, is on God. You don't even know how to use them. Your brain is not on the mind of God, Peter. Now, some, when they get, become in charge of something, they become invincible, never making a mistake. This happens a lot for men when they become a dad, right? They never do anything wrong, which is appropriate for us to talk about this on Father's Day. For some reason, dads get in their mind that they can never do anything wrong, especially when the kids become teenagers. Now, I'm preparing myself because I did youth ministry for many years, and I saw both sides of the story when, a lot when it came to kids. So I'll do it completely right, correct? No, I won't. But for some reason, my mind will say I'm doing it right because that's the mind of dads a lot of times. Father knows best. The Lord comes through and takes a two-by-four and knocks us upside the head, and our face drains all the blood. And Jesus is not talking to a Pharisee here. He's not talking to a priest. He's not talking to the enemy. He's talking to a guy who's been one of his best friends for the past two and a half years. And he says, I rebuke you. You are an offense to me, and I won't stumble over you, so get out of my way. It's interesting. Even with Jesus, his friend is voicing Satan's opinion. happens all the time. Many times the church can actually be an adversary to Jesus' plan. Sometimes by not doing anything. But other times by doing the wrong thing. And Jesus has to come along and says, get behind me, Satan. But, but Lord, you just don't understand our generation. You need to water it down a little bit. You know, the whole cross, the whole crucifixion thing, um, let's, just, let's just tone it down a bit. You know, it's possible that Jesus was actually talking to Satan here. Remember in Matthew 4, 8, when, Jesus tempts, I mean, when Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus said it before to, to Satan. You know, get thee behind me, 
Satan took Jesus and said, worship me, and I will give you, you know, everything, anything you see here, the world, I will give you if you just worship me. And Jesus rebukes him. What I find interesting is the devil keeps coming after Jesus. We see it in Matthew 4, we see it here, we see it at the crucifixion. The devil keeps coming, and Jesus has to keep pushing back on him. If the devil comes after Jesus like this, guess who else he comes after like this? You and I. You and I. And we have to figure out which is the, you know, of the devil and which is from our mistakes and which is God telling us to do something different. And this is why I encourage you to read the Word of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, you have to learn the voice of God. When I'm playing with Brandon around the house, he knows my voice. He knows different tones of my voice. I can get him to follow my instruction just by the tone in my voice. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And he knows when I'm serious, and he knows when I'm joking. He'll see the expression on my face. He equates the two. But the other day, he was playing with Lisa, and I heard them coming out of his room. So I slipped into a side room, being a good dad. And I hid behind the door. And I started calling his name in a different voice. And it freaked him out. He screamed and ran because he did not recognize his father's voice because I changed my voice. See, a good father doesn't change his voice. God doesn't change his voice. Now, he may get a little stern with us. He may have a little inflection in his voice. But God doesn't change his voice like I'm playing around with Brandon. Here Peter is tempting Jesus not to go to the cross. Lord, what are you talking about? You know, there's times when people around us, our closest friends, our loved ones, will come to us and say, no, don't do this thing. And it's hard for them. No, 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 no. This is not the plan. And the Lord has to come to us and say, don't play the role of the devil in in their life. When we go to somebody and say, don't do this, we have to be very careful when we go to somebody and say, God is telling me to tell you this. We have to be careful of that because God may be telling them the exact opposite. Unless God has talked to you and confirmed it with you, then don't try to speak for God. Get behind them and support them. Unless it's completely biblically wrong, and you, can, you see that in the Scripture, you understand what I'm saying. The Lord calls us to a deeper commitment. Jesus is, having, Jesus is not having this conversation with recent converts, but those who are committed to him. This is what's interesting. Two and a half years they had been with him. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. He didn't say this to the masses of the people when he was feeding them, you know, feeding the the 15 or 20,000 by the lake. He didn't tell them to take up the cross and follow him. He said it to the disciples, those he was closest to. Take up the cross and follow me wasn't an acceptance of Christ for the first time. It wasn't for the unbelievers, you know, answering, a God, you know, answering to God, calling, uh, calling them. No, it was for those that had already believed. It was a call to go, you know, to a deeper relationship following Christ. 
those he's been around. They've actually been around enough. And he wanted more from them. He wanted a deeper relationship with them. He says, I'm going to a Roman cross. Yes, guys, a Roman cross. He was not being metaphorical here. Six months out, he's saying, I'm going to be the one dying. And for you to be like me, for you to be effective, you have to be the same. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world? And the Greek word here is the cosmos yet forfeits his soul. Well, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Then I love this next verse. The reward will be for those who live this way on this planet. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, discipleship is, is costly. To follow Jesus involves decisions that sometimes will cost you. Hard decisions have to be made in this life. It really saddens me when someone comes and says, this part of my life is really messed up, Pastor. Can you help me out? Can you pray? Can you show me the direction? Can you lead me down a path to fix this part of my life? And you talk to them about decision-making process. You pray with them, and, and, and they want, you know, in their relationship with God to go deeper, and you begin to give them a path forward out of the mess they're in, and then they decide to turn around and go right back into the mess. That saddens me. You want to warn them. You want to coach them. You can encourage them. But you know what I've learned? I can't make a decision for you. You have to make that decision. And then you have to decide what step you're going to take next. The pastor can't make that decision for you. You have to. Hard choices. You also will have to take up the cross. Jesus could not make the decision for the disciples. They had to decide, am I going to take up this cross and follow him? Am I going to de deny myself? The word deny is actually two words. The word apo means to, to separate. It's our word for apart. The word, um, the other part is ardo means, uh, ardo mihi, means to t tell someone No. It's like when you look at a child and you go, no. Well, I try not to say it in those harsh ways with Brandon because I don't want him telling me no that way. When you put these two words together, it's almost like you, uh, think of it like this. You separate yourself from yourself and you look at yourself and you say, no. Let's practice saying the word no. Let's say it all together. No. We all know that word, right? Now, get your finger out, point it to the person next to you, and say no. Now, that feels good, doesn't it? Feels good to tell somebody no. Now, go home today and look in the mirror and say no, because that's what we're talking about here. You're looking at yourself in a mirror and saying no. 
That's what he's saying. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? We see this every day on the TV, don't we? Man, we see this every day driving around. You can see people forfeiting their soul. Or what good is it, or what can a man exchange for his soul? Let's look at some of these words. The word save here, it means to, to complete or to make whole, but also means to rescue from danger. If you want to rescue your life from danger, you have to lose it. No wonder why this is confusing, right? If you want to save your life from danger, put yourself in danger. If you want to make your life whole, let go and get into God's hands. The word lose means to destroy, to throw away. If you don't throw away the old life, the old motivation, the old goals, if you don't throw away, you know, throw them away to discover what life is really about, man, you see why it's tough for them to understand this. This is why Jesus didn't con- confront the crowds from the beginning. I mean, This is the first time he's been this harsh with the disciples, this so in your face with the disciples. If he would have done this at the beginning of his ministry to the crowds, they would have never hung around. They would all went away. This is why context is is so important. The other day, my wife and I were talking about this thing in politics, and I said, but but you remember when this thing was done? It was around, around election time, and she was like, oh, that's right. She put it in context. Context is important. It didn't make sense until it was in the right context. It's the same way here. Context matters. The context is the core group. The context is the Christian. Those that have grown up in the church or those that have been around for a while. The context is you and I. Not the visitor who doesn't believe or the visitor who hasn't come. The context is the core This is tough. He's asking them, are you really willing to do this? And God bless Simon Peter. At least he's willing to say something. What in the world are you talking about? This is ridiculous, Lord. What Christian would talk to God like this? I say a very honest Christian. Somebody who who at least has a relationship with God to say, I don't get this, Lord. I think you're off your rocker. And sometimes God says, get behind me, Satan. And other times he explains things to me. You know, he's the only God that doesn't strike us down. Every other God is about fear, right? It's good to have a healthy fear of God, right? It's good for a son or a daughter to have a healthy fear of their parent. And I don't mean a parent that raises their hand so the kid cowers back because the parent's fixing to hit them. I don't, that, that's not healthy fear. But I'm talking about, you know, when the parent has that tone of voice, and the child goes, okay, I better mind them or I'm going to be in trouble. That's healthy fear. There's many other types of healthy fear, but that's all we're going to go into. But, but it's good to have a healthy fear of God. Simon Peter says, Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, you are not thinking in the context of God. You're only thinking in the context of man, of your own understanding." You need to understand, if you want to follow me, from here on out, you will have to take up your cross and you will have to follow me. See, many of us 
have a type of cross that we wear. On a jewelry, jewelry, you know, a necklace or or a bracelet or, or something. We like to wear crosses because it has meaning for us. As a Protestant, it doesn't have a body on it. Well, sometimes I like to see a cross with Jesus still on it. You know what I'm saying? Because it reminds me that somebody had to die for my sins. To remember that, that I need to wake up and daily take up my cross. Because it's important for me to understand this and to remember. If you want to follow me, it involves losing your life in order to gain it. See, we can't water that down. We can't reinvent what it means. Because we, re- we basically create this feel-good, painless religion at the, at the expense of the truth that's inside of it. It's like an empty Easter egg. In the middle of May, we finally put away our Christmas, I mean our Christmas, not our Christmas, our Easter decorations. But before we did that, Brandon would grab an egg and look inside of it. He didn't like the fact that the egg was empty because he'd already emptied them all. The more I thought about this, I had, uh, you know, I have to think, Lord, have I really taken up my cross to follow you? Have I really done that? Is it that difficult? Is it that much of a sacrifice? Have I really died to self? Lord, you need to purify me once again. Lord, you need to come into my life once again. You know, many of us have been following the Lord for years. But when you get to a a lesson like Matthew 16, all bets are off. You have to ask yourself personally, do I still have the passion that I once did for God? Am I carrying the cross through this life and following the Lord? Because that's Christianity. Is there anybody here today that would say, man, I've sort of kind of a little bit been following the Lord lately? Or I gave my, my life over to, to Christ years ago, but lately, man, I, I, the things of my mind, my mind has not been on the things of God. My mind's been on the things of this world. Or maybe it's I, I want to have a, different, a, different, you know, a deeper relationship with Him. And I need to take up the cross that I set down so I could rest for a while. See, crucifixion was a, was a public thing. Serving the Lord is a public thing, and it often involves sacrifice. Is there anyone here today who needs to stand up and say, I need to follow him once again, that my mind has not been on the things of God. I need to recommit my relationship with him. I need to redirect my life once again. Is there anybody here that needs to say that? And it doesn't mean your life's been off willy-nilly, you know, you're getting drunk every night. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, is there anybody here that says, man, my life, you know, I've been following God, but I haven't really taken up the cross to follow Him lately. Is there anybody here that needs to say that? Stand up and I'll pray for you. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Yeah. You're not you're not alone. You're not alone. We're all pretty much in the same boat. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, I pray for those who have the who have the ability to stand up and say, I need to recommit my life. 
Not that their life is totally destroyed, not that their life has is, is gone off the deep end, but to say, you know, lately I just haven't been up to the task. I've been kind of like Peter, Lord, what are you talking about? You want us to follow you on a daily basis. And you ask us to take up that cross, and I pray that you teach us what that means. You allow the Spirit to direct us. You allow the Spirit to give us the strength to do the things and to have the mind of God. And I pray that you give us that mind of of you, Lord. That you start taking our mind away and replacing it with the things that you're thinking about. We love you so much, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he give you the strength to take up his cross on a daily basis. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.